So if you've got your Bible, um, if you'll go ahead and open it up to the book of Hebrews. Go ahead and turn to chapter 13. Your bulletin says we're going to be reading verses 7 and 8, but technically we're going to be doing 9 also. So again, if you've, if you've been part of our church for a little while, then you, you, you're probably familiar with our schedule typically. But if not, if you're, if you're newer and you've not been with us that long, then and typically what happens is when we get to about this time of year, um, we shift from our regularly scheduled programming. Um, and so, so whatever series we've been working through, um, throughout the fall, um, we take a pause from that as we enter into first into this sort of Thanksgiving season and then into the Advent season and then into the Christmas tide season. And so we'll probably not be in Luke until, until Maybe the beginning of early part of January, but it may be. We Sometimes we decide to, to jump into an Old Testament passage at the beginning of the year, and so it could even be longer than that. We'll kind of see as we go down the road. Um, but but wanted to talk about um, today, again, in light of those different um, pieces um, that we've been talking about, I wanted to talk about um, uh, an idea that can is connected to the idea of remembering um, the saints who have come before us, remembering the people who have come before us, um, a theme that we zoom in on every year about this time. So our passage is Hebrews 13, 7 through 9. And the author of Hebrews writes this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not le- be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer again. Father God, again, we, we come before you in, in prayer and particularly God in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for, um, God, the ways that you have blessed and cared for and provided for us. Um, Father, in particular, as we, as we approach the day that we remember in, in our country as Veterans Day, God, we remember those, um, God, who have served, um, our country and our military, um, God, who have in some cases given their lives, but in all cases, um, given much of their lives. Um, to to protect our freedoms, God, to protect our way of life, to give us the opportunity to to live and work and and go to school and have community and be um, at peace um, the way we have uh, the way that we have enjoyed in this country, God. We recognize that all of those things are a function of Your ultimate blessing. Um, that were it not for your grace to us, that none of those things would be possible. And yet, God, we acknowledge the fact that you have worked through means, and that includes um, our veterans. And so, God, we thank you for those those men and women who have um, sacrificed um, their lives uh, for our country. Um, God, your word tells us that, that greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Um, God, we recognize that you are speaking particularly in a, in a spiritual context there. Um, but yet the, 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 the ethos of that and, and the same, um, idea is found in those who, um, sacrifice their lives for, for our safety and freedom. And so we thank you for that. God, as we come to, um, your word, um, today, we ask that you would open it, um, and, uh, God, open our hearts to your word, that we would see it rightly, and uh, that you would use it to convict us, um, encourage us, uh, and to lead us in righteousness. Uh, we thank you for this, this objective source that we can go to, God, where you speak to us um, anytime we come to it, uh, that you are talking directly to us. And so we thank you for that. Um, bless us as we read. Bless us as we study. Um, God, that it would edify us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, so again, uh, I kind of keep on repeating myself, but so we've just come past this day. Um, uh, October thirty first is is we call it Halloween, right? But we recognize it also as 
as all uh, as Reformation Day because Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door uh, in Wittenberg in 1517. So we honor and remember the Reformation. But the reason it's called Halloween, I'm sure you're probably all aware of this, it is All Hallows Eve, right? Or All Saints Eve because November 1st is a day that we call in the history of the church, um, or at least in certain areas of the church, we call All Saints Day, okay? And so it was a day that the church, um, you're probably familiar with the fact that, that in Roman Catholic um, belief and Eastern Orthodox belief, there are certain feast days during the course of the year where specific saints and, and leaders from the history of the church are remembered and honored on those days. And so then All Saints Day was the day that you sort of like, it was the catch-all. Okay, it was it was the day that we remember and honor all the saints, all the saints. The day after All Saints Day is All Souls Day, in which you would not only remember those leaders in the church, but you would also remember people like your family members. And it was a day of commemoration and memory um, uh, for for the, your loved ones who had passed and and gone to be with the Lord. And so. Again, it's interesting because as you look through church history, you find all kinds of weird stuff that connects to, to those two holidays, right? Um, uh, different cultures have taken on different kinds of practices, some of which are very uh, unbiblical, some uh, almost pagan in their sensibilities, right? Um, we as Protestants ha- have a big problem with the idea of of saints the way the Roman Catholic Church understands those people in terms of merit that they have earned and stored up and dole out to people. That's not the way that we think of saints. But I think there's still a benefit there, right? There's a benefit in us being able to say, um, these are people who have led well and taught well and followed Christ well and have been examples for us in, in faith and life. And, it's, and it, it is behooven on us to look to those people and, and um, remember what they've done. Okay, um, and we see that in in places like this now. And so we talk about this idea before. I'm always encouraging people to engage with Christian biography. Okay, um, to to use Christian biography through whatever media, and we'll talk about that a little bit at the end, um, as a way to remember um, and to be spiritually blessed. Um, by investigating and, and learning from the lives of Christians who have gone before us. But what I want to encourage you today is that's not just a helpful spiritual practice, okay? What I think the case is, is that we see in Hebrews chapter 13, this is a command from God, okay? This is not just an extra little little um, spiritual discipline that might benefit you in some way. This is actually something that we are commanded to do in the scriptures, Okay? And so, so the first thing that I want to kind of talk about is the mandate to engage with Christian biography. The mandate, we could say, to remember your leaders. Verse 7. So he says, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Okay? There's a lot of commands in that passage. There's three clauses that are commands. So what we notice is when we come to the book of Hebrews, and I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Hebrews, but it is particularly concerned with this idea of remembering those who have come before us, which maybe um, uh, should not be a surprise to us because um, because the Hebrews, right? This is a letter written to the Jewish people. The Hebrews were big on remembering those who had come before them. Okay. Think about as you go through um, the Old Testament books, um, the importance, the prominence of remembering those leaders. They're always talking about this idea of the patriarchs, right? The fathers in the faith. Sometimes the, the Jewish faith is even referred to as the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It is named, you could say, after the early people whom God chose and believed in. Um, the, the, the prophets, um, whose words echo down through history. The, the Old Testament is always looking to the prophets and what they've said in the past. If you think about it, the whole book of Kings and the whole book of Judges are those kind of books. They are looking back and remembering the, the characters from the history of the Jewish people. And so maybe we should not be surprised that when we come to the New Testament, Christian book of the book of Hebrews, which the book of Hebrews, again, if you're not super familiar with it, is, is a book written to the Hebrew people to explain how Christianity is engaging with these big themes of the Old Testament. So, you know, you start thinking about how, 
the Old Testament teaches about covenant, about priesthood, and about a chosen people, and all these different ideas. How does the New Testament, how does the Christian faith intersect with all these things? Okay? And so a question that we could ask is, how does the Christian faith engage with those, those patriarchs, those, those fathers and mothers in the faith who have gone before us? How do we honor them? in the way that is in keeping with the way the Jewish faith did that. So we see that all through the book of Hebrews. So, for example, in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, that you're probably familiar with, it's called the Roll Call of Faith, and it goes through this big list of talking about all these different people through the history of the Old Testament who've shown faith. It zooms in on the concept of faith and shows how all these different leaders have exemplified that. Um, and so we, we notice that the Old Testament focuses on these things. The book of Hebrews that is engaging with the Old Testament is commanding us to engage with this, okay? So it says, remember your leaders. Remember these people. So here's a question, though, you might ask, is which leaders is it commanding us to, to remember? Whose lives is it telling us to consider and imitate? Because I think we might at first say it's talking about current leaders. It's talking about living leaders. Like you might just read this and think, oh, when it says for me to remember my leaders, it's saying remember the people who are leading you right now. But I actually don't think that's what it's talking about. And here's the reason why we know. That might also be true, but 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 that's not what he's talking about here. There's an interesting word there in verse 7. It's the word ekbasin. Okay? It's the word that is translated outcome in this passage. That word is only used one other place in the whole Old Testament. I mean, in the whole New Testament. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And this is what it says there. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted with beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide for you an ekbasin. Now, in that passage, it translates it a way of escape instead of an outcome. All right. And that's the reason is because this word is a little bit weird is John Piper talks about the fact that, that the word means it means the way out, but it also means the result of the way out. All right. So it could be kind of translated. The big idea to take one word and spread it out would be the finishing of a way of life that leads out of this life into the next life. So it's hard to like use that one word and then write that whole sentence or whatever. But that's basically the idea. How a leader, leader's life leads to the completion of the journey. Or maybe we could say simply how somebody finishes the race. Okay. That's what he means by this outcome. When he says for, uh, when, when he, he tells us to consider the outcome, what he's saying is consider the way that they ran the race and finished the race. Okay. So then by that token, I would say, He's not talking about living leaders. He's not telling you to remember your living leaders and consider their way of life. He's saying, remember the leaders who have passed on into glory and remember their way of life. Now, there's probably a really practical reason for this. And it's the same reason you should never name your kid after somebody who's not dead. Okay? And the reason is, is because you never know what that person's, how they're going to finish the race. Right? Um, you name your kid after somebody and you're like, wow, I really have a lot of respect for this person. And then they like, don't stick the landing, right? They crash that thing before they get to the end of their life. And you go, boy, I really shouldn't have named my kid whatever, you know, and I won't name any names because that, you know, whatever. But you know, you know people who, and you can think in your head, you're like, boy, I had a lot of respect for this person. And I'm glad I didn't name my kid after them. Okay. Um, He's telling us to remember those who have already passed on, but people who now we have a, a clear view of their entire lives. And we can see the kind of way that they live. We can see the way they died and that we can then um, uh, investigate and, and think about these things, okay? So if that is the case, then this passage is talking about not current leaders, but but leaders who have already finished. And moreover, it's focusing not just on any leader, for example, a secular leader, even though I think there's lots of interesting and important things that we can learn from secular leaders. But what does it say? It says we're to focus on the leaders who have spoken the word of God to us. All right. Which means either leaders that you have known who have passed and who spoke the word of God to you or leaders maybe that you have not known and you have benefited from their teaching from a, from a, a third person kind of, kind of way. 
But notice the commands. There's three words there that you're commanded to do. You're commanded, again, not a suggestion. You're commanded to remember. You're commanded to consider. And you're commanded to imitate. Remember, consider, imitate. All right? So so we are to look to those who have gone before us to remember them, to consider their lives, and to imitate their lives. And there's lots of benefit that comes from that for us. So I, I'm, I'm going to kind of break it down, and I'll, and I'll talk about a couple of things. For one, what does it say in this passage? It says there is a model there to imitate. That's one of the benefits that comes to us from investigating Christian biography and reading the stories and, and knowing the stories of those who have come before us. We imitate, we are called to imitate their faith. Again, think about that passage in Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith. Listen to, to one of the passages there that says this. It's talking about all these different leaders and people from, from church history um, or, or Jewish history. And he says, these are the people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, and it goes on to talk about the fact that they never got to see the promises fulfilled. They never got to see Jesus come, okay? But the point is, is this. Isn't it interesting, I think, that when you go to this passage, it says, remember these people. And as you read that list, you go, some of those are really awesome things to remember, and some of them are really hard things to remember, right? Some of these people put foreign armies to flight and had victory over their adversaries. And some people were sawn in two. Right and 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 and, uh, and flogged and mocked and imprisoned. We notice that there is this this model for us to imitate, and it goes across the board into all kinds of different ways. Because the reality is, is this: we do this on a regular basis. Man, our, our our view of the world is very myopic. We are zoomed in on our own issues, on our own problems, and. Oftentimes it feels like we are the only person in the world who has ever felt this way and ever done this thing and ever experienced any of this stuff. Okay. And so we're always thinking is, is, does anybody else struggle the way I do? Is anybody else going through the same things in life that I am? Any kind of aspect of the Christian life, whether it's just, um, ways of being faithful or, or, or insights or, or best practices, we have all these different things that we can glean by reading and knowing the stories of those who have come before us. So I think in terms of, of spiritual benefit that I've gotten from people, like I was just kind of making a quick list in my head and I was thinking about how I know how to pray better because of George Miller. I know how to understand God's glory in the natural world because of Jonathan Edwards. I know how to think practically and reasonably about the faith because of J.I. Packer. I know how to imagine and engage the world of fiction and story better because of C.S. Lewis. I know uh, or, or experience the, the benefits of, of order and, and liturgical um, pattern in my life and year because of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because of the things that I've seen in these people's lives, right? These people have spiritually benefited me because I've, I've investigated their lives and I've read about them and I, and I, and I've seen the things that they've done. And so they've benefited me spiritually, but they benefit me too in, in the way that I see the hardships that they have gone through in their lives. So for example, um, I'm a reformed believing person. Okay. Um, that's a Calvinistic kind of understanding of, of, of salvation and Christianity and everything. Guess what? There's some hard things to, to grapple with in that, especially when it comes to ideas like election and predestination and, and all those things like that. And as a young Christian, uh, not a that young Christian, I was in my twenties. I was struggling with these things. Like there were things in my head going, if this is the way God is, I'm not sure that I want to believe in him. Okay? I was thinking through all of these issues in my head. And guess what? About that time, I was reading a biography of Jonathan Edwards. Guess what I found out? In Jonathan Edwards' late teens and early 20s, he was struggling with the exact same thing. 
right? He was learning these doctrines too and questioning whether he believed that God was this way or not. And guess what? That was a huge encouragement to me to think to myself, I'm not crazy and I'm not a weirdo. These things are hard to grapple with. And some of the most faithful men in history who eventually believed these things, they grappled with them too. And so we can, we can see that how to work through theological hardships, you could say, um, by reading and, and knowing these, these saints from the past. But more importantly, maybe even, at least for our, our, a lot of our daily lives, um, we see how they dealt with disappointment, how they dealt with sorrow in their lives. And so I'm reminded of, uh, if you've ever read Martin Luther's comments when his, his little daughter was dying. Um, he, they lost, I think, several children, but, but one daughter in particular when she was only about 10 years old or something like that. And, and watching, um, Luther's comments and the things that he wrote afterwards about how he dealt with that and thought about it, these different things, those are incredible things to, to, uh, I've never had to deal with that. I pray I never have to deal with that, but they are things that, that will sit in my heart as if I'm prepared for something. Um, better. Okay. And again, man, these kind of sorrows, there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself. And yet there is wisdom to be stored up in, in the event that something awful like that should happen. I think of, of Richard Baxter, who was one of the Puritan pastors. Um, he had a wife who passed away and he wrote an entire book about dealing with that grief and, and, and figuring that out. Right. And so again, I hope that's something that I never have to deal with, but you know what? I bet you there's lessons we could learn about dealing with any grief in, in, um, those kind of writings. And so we deal with hardships in, in terms of disappointment and sorrow. And then lastly, man, all you gotta do is read a couple biographies and recognize how we deal with persecution, um, in, in the church, right? You can go back and look at the lives of people who have dealt with, man, things that we cannot even imagine. I remember reading of, of, uh, missionary John Patton who had gone to the Southeast uh, uh, Asia, you know, Indies, whatever you call them, like the islands down there. Right. And, and he was on an Island literally with cannibals and he had fled from his home one night and was in a tree for like two days and two nights because there were cannibals in the woods looking to eat him. Okay. And you think, you know what? I've not had to deal with that, right? There are things that I have dealt with that are persecutions in my life. We were talking today about worrying about the way some of these different laws about vaccines and mandates and different things and jobs and layoffs and all these things. How's that going to play out in our country? And we all know, but you know what? I'm not being chased by cannibals, okay? Um, now, again, that's not to try to weigh our problems against the other thing, but it is to say this. There are people who have dealt with all kinds of things. And, and we can learn how to be faithful from them in the trials that we experience. You remember when Paul's writing and he says this, he's talking about all the things that he has dealt with and, and, and been through on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, right? Paul is telling us about all the difficulties that he has gone through. So when we experience those things, maybe we should just look to the scriptures and say, well, that should be enough. But man, it is so helpful and so encouraging to look through life and say, people have dealt with this all through um church history. So next week, I'm going to do my biography um, sermon thing that I do every year, and we're going to be talking about Lottie Moon. And one of the interesting things that I read this week about Lottie Moon is when she went to China, she was not the first missionary to go to China. There were already Southern Baptist missionaries on the field when she got there, and guess what happened? When she got there, there were two men who had competing churches with competing ministries, and they didn't like each other, and it was causing a whole lot of friction and embarrassment to the church and all these things, and I was like... I can't imagine that. Nobody's ever had two churches in the same town that had conflicts with each other, right? The reality is, is, is as you read these things, you go, man, nothing's changed. People are just people. Sinners are just sinners. God continues to work amongst us in all kinds of different ways. And so there's something encouraging in that, even if we look at it and go, boy, I wish people were got, had gotten better, but, but at least it's nice to know that we're not worse. <laughs> we're the same as we've always been, right? Um, so, so that spirituality that we learn, that hardship, but then also the idea of saying we can learn about the ways God blesses. 
We can have a hope and a picture of what God could do. And so we've, in this, in, in over the years we've been meeting, we've talked about Adoniram Judson um, and the incredible, miraculous, um, pretty much unique in some ways of all missionary efforts, the, what, the effect that he had in the country of Burma, Myanmar. Um, we've talked about George Whitfield before and the incredible difference that, that his preaching made in the, in the fortunes and futures of the United States, of Great Britain. Um, it is probably the case that America or Great Britain would have looked like revolutionary France and the awful things that happened there were it not for men and the way that God used those men like George Whitfield and John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and stuff. And so anyway, the point is to say, as we read these stories, we go, what could God do? He could do all kinds of things in our own time. We could see blessing poured out on blessing instead of kind of looking at our world and going, well, you know, it's hell in a handbasket. We, we might as well just, just quit. The reality is, is those people were going through incredible times of difficulty, and yet God brought incredible blessing out of it. So there's an encouragement there, okay? So that's one thing. He says these are models to imitate as we look at these men's lives in spirituality and hardship and blessing. But moreover, there is another thing to notice is the enduring centrality of Jesus that he mentions in verse 8. Sort of like out of nowhere, he just plops this line down. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It almost seems like it doesn't connect to um, the surrounding passages, but I think it does. Because what he's pointing to is the fact that he's saying, what you notice when you study the lives of these men of faith from other eras is that Jesus hasn't changed it. That Jesus is the same Jesus he's always been, and he's doing the same things that Jesus has always done. And so when we talk about reading spiritual biography and investigating these lives, we're not doing that to idolize these men and women. We're not doing what the Roman Catholic Church of old did when they basically semi-worshipped these people um, in, in a way. That's not what we're doing. We are doing what Paul talks about when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Each of these leaders, these heroes of the faith, are pointing us, yes, to faith and courage and endurance and holiness. They're pointing us to a way of life in these things. But more importantly, they're all pointing us to Jesus. They're pointing us and encouraging us to live radically changed lives for Jesus and to see the way that Jesus radically changes their lives. And in turn, that speaks again, not to the greatness of those people, but to the, the greatness and unchanging character of Jesus Christ. Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about that last week, right? Who is still wooing and still working and still doing everything he's always done. And the reality is, is this. That's part of the reason why we need the church today. We need the community of the living because you need people encouraging you in the centrality of Jesus Christ every day in your life. But guess what? It's not just the community of the living that you need to do that. You need the community of the dead um, to do that too. You need the voices from, from the past to also speak into your life and say, Jesus is still the center. Jesus is still the most important thing. All of my life, ministry, and success, blessing, hardship, everything, these things should point you towards Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, so we have this model to imitate. We have this, this, um, uh, the centrality of Jesus Christ to, to remember. And then this is the last thing, verse nine, is, is we have basically kind of an idea that you could say time-tested theology. Verse nine says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who were devoted to them. So here's the deal. Theology is, is in a lot of ways cyclical. Is what, what you find is this. Every single generation has to be reminded of the core truths of the faith. Everybody has to learn them anew every single generation. It would be nice if we could just sort of like build on them and they could be established and nobody ever questioned them ever again, but that's not the way people work. Every single generation, we have to rediscover everything, all right? But the reality is, is that we have tools and people who have gone before us who can aid us in that task. We have these people who have already thought these things and, 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 and worked through these issues and have wise things to say. They have presented to us these deep and abiding truths truths of the Christian faith that we can now rediscover. Because here's the problem. 
a lot of times we get cute when it comes to our belief. Okay, we 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 get these novel ideas, we get these sort of newfangled things um, in in our understanding of things, and and the reality is this: theology is a lot like the way hymns are. So if you think about it, every era of Christianity has had its own contemporary Christian music, right? Everybody for all of history has written their own songs in their own time about Jesus and faith and everything else. But the songs that we have that have come down to us through church history, those hymns from, you know, the Great Awakening and, and, and the Reformation and all the way back to the early years of the church, the reason why we remember them is because the sifting process of history has said, this is good stuff, right? All the rest of that stuff was garbage. Don't worry about it. We've, we've forgotten it, and it's probably best that we did. But these ones that have come down to us, this is good, solid stuff, and we should hold on to it, okay? Guess what? Theology works the same way, too. Is, is what we find is that as, as we look to the past, we recognize the things that are central, the things that are have stayed the same the whole time, you look around and you listen to preachers in the modern moment and stuff, and you kind of go, ah, there's some weird ideas out there, and I'm not sure if they're the best way of thinking about these things. You know how we'll find out in 300 years, if those ideas are still around, then, then, then maybe that will prove that they were worthy of sticking around. We won't probably know that in our own time. But you know what we can do? We can look to these guys who have come before us and see the things that the church fathers said, that the, that the, uh, pre- and post-Nicene fathers said, that the scholastics said, that the reformers said, that the Great Awakening people said, that the missionary movement said, that the contemporary movement said. And we can say, all these guys are saying the same things about the same things. And we can and we can stake our lives on those truths. The, the wording is kind of funny here, and, and maybe you noticed it. He says, for it is good to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And you're like, what does that mean? What is he talking about? You know what that word literally is? It's meats. Okay, it's good to be strengthened by food, not by, I mean, good to be strengthened by grace, not by meats. Okay, what's he talking about there? I think what he's basically saying is he's like, you know what? We all want the tasty temporary stuff, just part of our our life. But you know what? That stuff's not going to benefit you ultimately. Um, That stuff's not going to stick around. You remember we said last week, so much of our lives are temporary, passing. We eat it and it's gone. We consume it and it's disappeared. And, and I think what the writer of, of Hebrews is saying is, and a whole lot of our theology can be that way too. We want what is savory and tasty in the moment, but you know what you should? You should, you should go to the things that are long lasting. And you know what? In, in this case, he says grace. Grace is long lasting. The doctrines of grace are long lasting. The way God has worked among his people. Those are things that you can stake your life on and stake your theology on and, and, and what you believe. Don't worry about the temporary tasty stuff. It'll, if it's any good, it'll stick around. And if it's garbage, it'll pass away. But focus on those things that are long lasting. Don't look to the diverse and strange and new and novel. Look to the time tested. And we can do that by reading these fathers, reading of their lives, seeing the things that they focused on, um, and recognizing that they are still true in our own day. Okay. And so all of that to say, I encourage y'all to read uh, and to investigate uh, uh, church biography all the time, right? Now, part of the reason why I do that is because I love it. I love the history side of things. I love that stuff, okay? But what I want to encourage you is, is this isn't just a nerdy thing that Ash is into, okay? And if you're not a nerd in the way I'm a nerd, then you don't have to worry about it. What I'm saying is God is commanding us to do this. He is saying this is an important aspect of our spiritual growth is to look to those who have come before us, to know their lives, to to imitate, right? To remember, to consider, and to imitate their lives. And so I would encourage you to do this in a couple of ways. The obvious way is probably to read books about these guys, okay? And you can do that at any level. So I've got, I, I should have brought them with me. I've got little encyclopedias of Christian personalities that give a two to three page summary of their life and work and importance. I've got more typical biographies that are a couple hundred pages. And then I've got multi-volume works that are, you know, 2000 pages worth of story about a single person, about every aspect of their life. Probably the case is, is that very few of us are going to read those 2000 page books, right? But I'll bet most of us could read that a couple hundred page books and all of us could do the smaller books. 
Something else you can do if you've got younger kids or whatever, and there's all kinds of great children's stories about these people. That might be a great entry point for you. You might say, I don't know anything about Irenaeus, but I've got a children's book about it. And so I can learn and get a taste for who he was, the context in which he lived in, uh, and begin to learn. And then maybe that steps you up into reading the short biography, and then it leads you up into something else, and, and, and you begin to learn and glean from these people. Maybe you even then kind of go to some of their original works and the, and the things that they wrote and said, okay? So that's one thing. Another cool thing is is, is something that's in, popped up in our church in the last couple of weeks is there's, there's a lot of good biographical film and stuff like that out now, right? There's movies. There's TV shows that engage with a lot of these topics, all right? Um, Kyle's small group got together for Reformation Day and watched the Luther biography from 2005 or somewhere around that. Um, that's a great movie, okay? And you learn a lot. It's a very faithful, I think, interpretation of, of the events of Luther's life. Um, me and the youth and Julie um, went on Wednesday night and saw this little biography of, of C.S. Lewis um, that is out in the theaters right now. It was super successful for the kind of movie it was, and they held it over. They've, it was going to be a one-night engagement, and then they made it a two-night engagement. Now they've made it a week-long engagement kind of thing, and there's still opportunities to go see it. It's only like an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, and I thought it was beautiful, right? It's something that was, it was, it was very moving about the life and conversion. It only goes up through his conversion. So if you're wanting to know about how he wrote the Chronicles and Arnie and all that kind of stuff like that, it's not in there. Um, but it's about him struggling from being a young child and, and the difficulties he went through, through the point of, of converting to Christianity is really cool. Okay. And so there are opportunities like that out there. There are these things that we can keep our eyes open for and engage with and that God can use to bless us, all right? And so that would be, that's the takeaway, is go out and do that, all right? Find, um, not, not because Ash told you to, but I'm telling you because God has told you to. Go out and engage with these things. Find somebody you're interested in. Um, find a time period that you're interested in. Find, if, if it's missions that you're interested in, if it's music that you're interested in, um, if, if, it's, if it's whatever, theology or preachers um, or, or women of the faith, right? Man, I'm, I'm, the stuff I'm reading about Lottie Moon is fascinating right now, about this woman who, who came in at a time when women in, in any kind of ministry, not talking about formal ordained ministry, but women doing anything in a Southern culture was not kosher. Um, and yet all the, the, the sort of trailblazing ways that, that she moved forward and, and, and became, you know, jokingly the patron saint of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and so, um, so we'll talk about that more next week, but cool stuff. Find something that you're interested in, uh, and obey the Lord, um, and do what he's called us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for all the many ways um, that you have worked, um, that you have empowered, that you have emboldened, um, God, that you have lifted up, you have raised up, that you have worked through um, the, the, the mothers and fathers of the church um, since the beginning. Um, God, we look to those people as you have commanded, and and we glean from them. God, as we as we look at their lives, as we look at their spiritual practice, as we look at their conversion, as we look at their uh, mistakes and missteps, God, as as uh, we look at their persecutions and struggles, as we look at as we look at the blessings and the ways um, that you gave them victory in this life, God, we take encouragement from that. We take warning from that. Um, we we ask that you would. Um, make those people's lives sweet and touching and important to us, um, that, that we would recognize um, the benefit that can come from them. God, that you would help us to make time in our busy lives. God, I, I'm, I'm sure that there are, as, as we talk about this, there are many people in, in the congregation right now who are saying, actually, I don't have time to read um, what you're talking about, to get into these things. God, help us to make time. Um, help us to recognize that this is a command the same way it is to pray, um, to be in your word, to engage with you in any of those ways, and that, God, you intend to bless us through these things. And so help us to um, to put these as priorities in our lives. And then we got ask God that that you would bless that effort, God. Help us to, to be encouraged and moved by these things. When we uh, pick up a book or, or watch a movie or read an article or something, God, we ask that your spirit would touch us. Um, and that we would feel and experience the benefit from that and in the encouragement of that moment um, that it would 
pull us and, and, and push us uh, to, to explore more. Um, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Please stand and sing the closing song. Because I remember we've got a bunch of biographies sitting on our take a book, leave a book shelf over there. Okay, so I'm gonna lay these back there um, at, at the uh, at the kind of welcome table. You can have one of these if you want it. If you're like, yeah, man, I would read that. I would actually read that book. Don't just take it because you want to like a cool book on your bookshelf or whatever. But but if you'd actually read it, um, you can grab one. You can have them. That's what they're over there for. Recommendation real quick. This is a great series. I've recommended every year about this time. The Swans Are Not Silent is what the series is called. John Piper writes them. He takes three characters. He takes a biblical theme, like in this one, it is the cost of bringing the gospel to the nations. He takes three characters from church history. In this case, William Tyndale, John Patton, and Adoniram Judson. And then he writes a historical, theological, biographical picture of them, okay? There's about seven books in the series or whatever, each one doing the same thing, taking an idea, taking three characters or whatever. They're awesome. They're awesome. You should read them. They're awesome. Big books like that, that's a great book too on on uh, Bonhoeffer. It's a big book though, so you may be like, man, Ash, I ain't up for a 600-page book on Bonhoeffer. 
There's an abridged version and a version for kids, though, or whatever. And there's great little books like this. This is probably upper elementary, lower middle school level kind of. Um, that's that right there. Yeah. So Christy's like, yeah, maybe a middle school book, but good for adults, right? Um, and so, um, but anyway, I'm going to lay those back there. If, if, if you're up for them or just want to look at them or whatever, I would encourage you, um, to, uh, to investigate. So cool. Um, hope you have a great week. Um, we'll see you next week as the plan is to talk about Lottie Moon, um, and, uh, and her service to the church. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like yet. Um, but, uh, but I'm working on it. So we'll see you next week. Hopefully, um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.
I gotta go in here. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. 